The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Slow ball it is! Six it is! Kane Williamson, under pressure, does the business. First World Cup under Kia ora and welcome to the Offspin. I've forgotten exactly what episode it is, but this is the Spin-Off's Cricket World Cup podcast brought to you by our very good friends at Coffee Supreme. And today, uh, it's very much needed because all of us have been up most of the night watching an incredible game of cricket between all, New Zealand. All the night. All the night. All the night for Simon. I woke up for the second innings. Uh, a, a game of cricket that at the end of it, you just can't help but sit there and think cricket you know how good is cricket it it was for me the game of the tournament i'll i'll get your thoughts on it as well first of all co-host simon day how are you cricket indeed and we're also joined by uh a former feature writer of the year a fantastic cricket writer current feature writer of the year. oh sorry current feature writer of the year my mistake my mistake uh, and in his own words, a palatable South African. I'd very much like you to unpack what that means, James Borrowdale. Hi, well, kia ora. Thank you both for having me. Um, I am a New Zealander, okay. uh, but I am South African born. And I, I suppose see. maybe that's what that means. Well, you're wearing, uh, you're wearing a vintage Sorry to put you on uh, the spot, DV Draft New Zealand cricket shirt. That looks like about 1993, 94, perhaps even earlier. Mm. So it went 92 World Cup jerseys, then the uh, lightning bolts for the um, World Series. And this was brought in in the 94 season uh, in a series against Pakistan. I think Danny Morrison got a hat-trick. Um, and then we had the 95 centenary year with the flags on the shoulders. Uh, I'm very dedicated to my early 90s, early and late 90s, grey and then into teal uh, cricket uniforms. Well, I was just going to ask, does it feel like a comfortable fit on you? You know, does it feel natural to be wearing it? It does, it does. And I remember that Danny Morrison hat trick. And this this instantly brings to mind that Danny Morrison charging in and bowling you know, kind of fast. <laughs> yeah, charging in and bowling a 128 or something like that. Jump, jumping high. <laughs> Technically, it's charging. Um, what a game. What a game. Last over finish. Uh, has there been a better game at the World Cup so far? Not for me. I don't think so. No. That, this was... It was a great game. And it was over cricket at yeah, its finest. And it was a real kind of retrograde game. You know, mm. this could have this could have mm. been, you know, early 2000s. 240 batting first, slowish wicket. Um, yeah, no, it was a great game. And to see us win it in the last over, I think, is and, and all as well going forward. 
And I'm discovering increasingly the Bangladesh game was like this. This game was even worse. The duress of staying up all night and being a little bit sort of bent out of shape, having had a whole pot of coffee, Coffee Supreme, uh, at about five o'clock, really gets the nerves going. And, oh, wow, it just it's full of adrenaline. It's full of anxiety. It is a stressful way to watch cricket doing it on a bender. Well, you talked in an earlier podcast about the emotional satisfaction that can come with a 50-over game that goes the distance. I mean, this is sort of the perfect example of that, isn't it? You know, you, we've we've had a complete story unfold in the space of a, a night, basically. Heaps of people were winning at different times. It was, oh, it was, it was horrific but amazing. I loved it. And we also saw one of the, just quickly, by the way, here's a stat for you. In the last 10 ODI innings that Kane Williamson has played in England, his lowest score is 40. And we saw a masterclass from him today. As we've sort of come to expect from Kane Williamson, he sort of read the game really well and knew the kind of innings, I think, that was required. Um, and chasing a, chasing a lowish total sort of needed someone to to bat through, especially when we started to wobble in the, in the middle there. Mm. Well, it, it, it raises the question in some ways, uh, and me and Simon were arguing about it on Slack overnight when we were watching the game at our respective houses, but uh, can it be considered that South Africa choked by not being able to dismiss someone who was playing like a batting machine? Oh, I don't know. Um yeah, I don't know if choking is the right word here for the South African team at this tournament. It's more mm. of a – choking's too sudden a death for <laughs> yeah. what this South African team is doing. It's more of an unravelling, yeah. I think. Um, a slow uh, asphyxiation. Yeah. But yeah. I guess this was their last chance to possibly stay in the tournament. They're now out. Um, and they had moments where they could have taken the game away from New Zealand and missed runouts, dropped catches – failed to uh, review the court behind where retrospectively it appeared Kane had nicked it. It it just felt like the typical World Cup shambles that uh, travels with South Africa through this tournament. For the benefit of the listeners who haven't followed every single World Cup in obsessive detail, would you mind just going through just the litany of of South African Cricket World Cup shambles. So South Africa and the World Cup just don't get along. Um, it was a huge moment when they were uh, introduced into the 1992 World Cup uh, post-apartheid. It meant as much to the country at the time as, you know, that sort of the World Cup uh, rugby victory three years later um, but in that semi-final that was affected by rain before the Duckworth-Lewis uh, system had been introduced, they were left with how many runs off? I think it was 22 off one ball. Off one ball. Yeah. So obviously that didn't work out for them. And they were eliminated in the tournament in farcical circumstance there. I don't know if it can be considered choking in 1996 when Brian Lara um, put on a masterclass. Uh yeah, they, that was a really weak West Indies team that had been playing really poorly in the lead-up to the tournament, and 
as he can do. Um, Brian Brian Lara had one of those days. Uh, of course, there was the infamous 1999 uh, Lance Klusner, Alan Donald run out on a tie that meant Australia went through to the final. There was more rain and more madness in 2003. 2011, they lost to uh, New Zealand when they absolutely should have won, uh, chasing a low total. Kyle Mills uh, got in Faf's ear after he ran out. Um, A.B. de Villiers, Jacob Oram took an amazing catch on the boundary to dismiss Jacques Callis and then they fell apart. 2015, one of the best games of sport I've ever seen live, but I don't think you can deny an element of choking in there as well. There were dropped catches, there were missed runouts. Um, again, they were probably affected unfairly by the rain, but again, they lost. And then... Again, I, I think you're right, James, you can't call it a choke, but they sort of arrived with something already lodged in their throat and haven't been able to uh, dislodge it at this tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I mean, basically, at this stage, I, I just feel really sorry for this team. <laughs> that, you know, as you say, that litany of um, misfortune and, and, and undoubtedly choking is something that just always follows this team into any tournament. Well, they're going to go home to some horrible headlines in the press, aren't they? Yeah, you, uh, yeah. I, the South African press can be pretty brutal, and, 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 and these players probably... I mean, they just haven't performed as well mm. as they should have. Um, and, you know, they have been unlucky with injuries and um, absences of some star players. Um, Dale Stain, in particular, mm. could have made mm. a huge difference. Um A.B. De Villiers especially, and you've got to wonder if there was actually a destabilising element of of him coming out and saying, oh yeah, I did offer to go back at the last minute, but they turned me down. And, and, you know, all of the brouhaha around that generally, it can't have been easy on the senior players to know that, uh, that another genuine great of the game thought that they weren't good enough without him there and that he should come back but doing it in such a way on his own terms I mean that that can't be easy to deal with as a wouldn't have thought so no and I think I mean they've all the players have all made the sort of right noises around you know unity and not you know not letting it affect them but you can't imagine I mean De Villiers is the greatest one day batsman or one off certainly of the Definitely modern era be, yeah um, yeah yeah, that can't help but play on your mind to think what could have been with with him in the middle order and so many of their batsmen are misfiring or just mm. playing out of form. So South Africa has been the sort of origins of your um, deep fascination with cricket. Having that proximity to um, keeping an eye on that team, why do you think this tournament has been such a problem for them to perform? Oh, I don't know. That's a really hard question. I think probably an element of self-fulfilling sort of prophecy. I think once it happened a couple of times, that's the sort of thing that can really play in your mind. Um, I mean, the narrative surrounding the South African team at every World Cup, at least the last four, has been, you know, can they overcome this Mm. choke attack? Um, And... they can't. <laughs> Graham, <laughs> Graham Smith can't. actively tried to say, you know, the C word doesn't exist in our um, camp, and then 
they they choked. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I, I think it's part of a history about South African cricket that we don't acknowledge as much um, as we do with teams like Pakistan with or the West Indies, where there is this uh, layered po- politics um, to the way the team uh, functions. Well, it's a, a fair point. I mean, why do we say that South Africa chokes, whereas Pakistan are mercurial or a maverick team or something like that? You know, why, why is it that we automatically assume that South Africa is just going to be really good and then they fall short from there as opposed to expecting, well, all teams are inconsistent. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. Well, I think South Africa generally come into, perhaps not this one, but generally come into tournaments, have come into tournaments playing really well Mm. and looking like a team that could win the World Cup. You know, you, you look at the last World Cup, you had Stain and De Villiers, obviously. Mm. And at their peak. At Amla their peak. As well. Amla, at his, when he, when at he his absolute peak, yeah. which and he's probably not at the moment oh, anymore. Not. No. It's quite sad to see Amla yeah. struggle so much because at his best, he is just the most graceful, fluid batsman yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. But um, it's a bit, yeah, watching them sort of crease bound and, and sort of not moving it's right is a bit, yeah, it's not, it's not nice to see, but... But things like the legacy of corruption follows Pakistan, but doesn't have the same lasting uh, visibility with South Africa, for example. And and you wrote about uh, Hansi Cronier. He's a fascinating character. You said you love him. Explain. So that article, which I wrote for the Cricket Monthly a couple of years ago, is sort of an a examination of my relationship with the South African cricket team. I said I sort of loved him or love him as an embodiment of the team he led. Um, he was just this uh, amazing front person. Bear in mind, this is before um, he was tainted by, you know, mm. um, by the later scandals. But, um, you know, he was just this really kind of impressive, swarthy, good-looking, intense character on the field who was, you know, came up with, some of the great innovations of the game was lauded as this great captain, mm. and that team in particular, um, you know, had the likes of, uh, you know, Klusner and Pollock and Donald, Donald, and the emergence of Carlos and um, Makai and Tini mm. and 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 so some really great South African players. And that summer, when I watched that team religiously, was really. Um, the sort of I think I called it the engine room of my affection for that team in <laughs> in that piece, and um, I think they they lost that series. I think they won every game until the three match final against Australia, where they I think they lost all the games. But um, yeah, so it's not as simple as say I love Hansi Kronje. I think <laughs> that um, you know obviously he's a problematic character and did some terrible things and took advantage of a lot of people, but. Um, I still love that team he led. Is there uh, an element of, um, uh, you know, his? no matter what he did in his life, you've got to feel sad about his untimely death in a way. And, and is there an element of that uh, colouring how you see him now as well, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure about for myself, but I know, like, generally the narrative, um, I think definitely, like, he he was sort of, um, redeemed in some way by this mm. violent, fiery crash, plane crash that he that he that he perished in, and all of the members of that team that I, I talked about before, 
you know, to a man almost, they all come out and say he was a great man. He was a great leader. He was, mm. you know, this and this and this. Um, it's, uh, so he obviously had an effect on, on people and could uh, could lead them well. And he obviously also could lead them astray. Yeah. Can, can we just go back and, and recap exactly... Because, uh, I mean, people now, when they think about fixing, they think about things like uh, Muhammad Amir's no balls or, or something like that. What what exactly was it that Hansi Kronier did? Um, basically, meeting with Indian matchmakers um, and agreeing to throw games or... Um, for not that much money, it would you know mm. seem by I think one one time he just he he was given a leather jacket and <laughs> thirty thousand thousand dollars or something something like that in the vicinity and um yeah uh, I think uh, that famous test where him uh, where he, he turned it into I can't remember the captain of England at the time maybe Atherton where they agreed to turn it into a one uh, one innings plays one innings game later that we you know we found out that you know he had been asked or paid to do that by mm. by bookmakers um i think the the most damning thing is uh that he obviously this is late 90s uh, mid to late 90s south africa still obviously reeling after decades of apartheid um Herschel gibbs was one of the players he 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 sort of coerced to do to do his bidding um uh, Herschel gibbs is a, a player of color mm. you know there's probably an element of racial power play there that yeah, is, you know yeah. he was Gibbs was a young man Cronier was this sort of father figure to the team um, and yeah there's a power imbalance there that he probably exploited and yeah it's it's a really interesting um, I remember reading uh, ESPN Crick Info commentator Fidos Munda uh, writing about the transformation targets once. And and one of the points that she made was that it's not so much a matter of, uh, you know, if you're looking at transformation targets and saying that white players are being excluded by them, you're looking at it the wrong way because the function of them is to actually unlock the 90% of the South African population or thereabouts, I believe, who are black African, who previously had no... It previously had no real access to elite sport or, or, you know, really any upper layer of society, if we're being honest about apartheid. And that's that struck me as a really interesting way of looking at it as something which is potentially going to have a really positive impact on the sport or society at large. But at the same time, uh, since uh, 2004, I think about 45 top South African cricketers, almost entirely uh, white South African cricketers, have also left South Africa to go and play in England. I mean, is that... Uh, that's quite a, a double-edged sword in a way, isn't it? Uh, how how much would that have potentially weakened not just the national team itself, but the wider cricketing structures in the sort of short and medium term? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, you look at the quality of some of the players who've left even recently. Um, Kyle Abbott, uh, aver- test average of uh, twenty-one or, or something, mm, something brilliant, re- really good. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so th- th- there are really great players 
leaving South Africa, which is a shame for um, Dwayne Olivier, you yeah. mentioned before. Yeah. Um, I wrote a few down before, actually. Mornay Morkel's on there as well. Um, Riley Rousseau, if he had of kept playing, would probably be quite a good batsman mm. by now. Wayne Parnell had an amazing haircut. Yep, yep, they lost a good haircut. That's true. It's important. <laughs> but, I mean, is that, is that something that from here because let's be honest I mean South African cricket is not incredibly well managed it it doesn't appear they had a a T20 tournament that had to be delayed by a year Mm. because of mismanagement I mean are are we going to see if this trend continues are we going to see South African cricket continue to not being able to unlock the potential of their entire population and continue to get weaker and weaker. To a Zimbabwe. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Zimbabwe are not a particularly good team anymore. They're not, yeah, obviously they're not even here. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it could, I mean, you could see South Africa, I mean, I think they just still continue to produce so many good players that even with those people leaving to play for other countries, and New Zealand has obviously been a, been, huge, been a huge yeah, from, from that um, phenomenon. But um, yeah, I mean, every time you see a South African team, you do outside the World Cup, you you, you think they're going to be competitive, um, mm. particularly maybe more so in Test matches. Always yeah, a good team. Yeah. Um, so I mean. If South Africa could choose from all the players who are currently playing around the world overseas, even representing different countries, they'd obviously probably have a stronger team. But their team at the moment still sort of player for player. Mm. They're all really, really good. Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, it's its fair to say that Kagiso Rabada and uh, Gidi would be another bowler as well, who, uh, you know, two players who pretty much any team in the world would want on their side you'd have to say, especially Rabada. And would they have necessarily got got to go were it not for those transformation targets? I'd, I'd argue perhaps not. Yeah, I'd say you're probably absolutely correct. And yeah, as you say, like, and um, Filiquayo as well is, yeah. a, a, yeah. is one of their best performers at this World Cup. Yeah. Um, Bavuma in tests. Yeah. Very good batsman. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know the internal mechanics of South African cricket and how that all works, but um, a, more diversity in the game, and especially in the South African game, is only a good thing. It was it was interesting to see Faf, uh after the game today, though he was. That was a really awkward interview. He was gutted, mm. and you know, like you said, it's a strong team on paper, and they just haven't managed to get across the line. And, you know, it was very close today, uh, but there was a couple of moments there that just took it away from South Africa. I want to give Alex this opportunity to talk about the last ball of the 48th over. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. So, 12 needed off seven. As Simon's taking his headphones off, he reckons this is going to take a while. I might settle in a little bit, but 12 needed off seven at the start of the over... Colin de Grandhomme had holed out after previously looking like he was going to carry the team through to the end. Kane Williamson was on strike on, I believe, 92. He 
had, uh, you know, he had a big decision to make to either go for the single and hold the strike or try and find a boundary from somewhere. And of all things to do, he softened his hands and played the most beautifully placed late cut you will ever see. Off honestly, the front foot as well. Honestly, I think that is the greatest cricket shot I have ever seen off the top of my head, partly because of the audacity of it, uh, the skill that it requires to carry it out, the intelligence to know that uh, that a relatively straight third man area was the most effective way to get a boundary, and also just to resist the temptation that so many batsmen in that position would have had. And I know, you know, speaking personally as a not intelligent cricketer in the slightest, I would have just had a massive munt at that ball and potentially would have got out to it. Most batsmen around the world probably would have done exactly the same. So I guess when it comes time to assessing the greatest cricket shot you've ever seen, would it be that one or would it be the six that he hit in the next over? I think it was it was that late front foot late cut. And what I loved about it as well is I'm not a big fan of the television commentators. I, but Absolutely. Mark Nicholas produced for me the uh, the commentary moment of the tournament off the back of that shot where he referred to uh, what Kane Williamson did then as a, the touch of a surgeon, which mm. I think is uh, captures it very, very well. And I think what better way for Kane Williamson to 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 each closer to victory than a shot a dab basically through yeah. third man yeah. you know how many runs has this shot brought Williamson over his career well, Just at hundreds. the start of the tournament people were saying that he might be under pressure because people had finally figured out that one of his best scoring areas was just running it down to third man and and yet that was still his go to when it when it came down to mm. that that moment they did plug it up a bit today but they forgot in the uh, in the second to last over. Yeah. Speaking of commentators, I've been continuing to keep my eye on uh, Simon Dool. Oh, no. I'm really worried about him. I spoke oh, to James no. about this ahead of uh, the, the podcast. He's unhinged. It's like he's um, having, a, having a bump in the commentary box because he's lost Just the Just for legal reasons, I'd like to point out that uh, Simon used a simile there rather than outright saying that Simon Dool is having a bump in the commentary box. No, def- of course he isn't, but he appears completely unhinged. The way, the passion and anger that he spoke about the way the ball bounces off your pad depending on if it's hit you above or below the knee roll and that it's Point's job to talk to the captain about a review. It just it was alarming. Even before the even before the game, his um, pitch report was very. It was a it was a lot, a, right. a lot went into that pitch report. And then I noticed during the um, the break between innings, when him and Pollock were talking, um, just you know about the game, um, he gave Sean Pollock a really awkward hug at one point that <laughs> Pollock seemed to sort of brush what? off. Yeah, it was sort of, it was quite it was in re- in relation to what had Pollock just said something nice about his shoes oh, I or can't something remember. Or? I don't even know if there was it sort of seemed like a bit of a non sequitur which just he, sort of happened but again this was in the middle of the night so mm. um I, I can't remember the exact circumstances. He, he also needs to stand up straighter. I've noticed that he's got um really bad posture uh <laughs> on the television. So Simon like we've said before reinstall your goatee Put back in your earrings and stand up straight and calm down a bit. 
Brendan McCullum, though, he's been doing a great job in the commentary box, I thought. He has been. And in fact, there was a moment where Brendan McCullum sledged Simon Dool, which I thought was incredible because Simon Dool's been on the telly for about a decade now. Uh, but Brendan McCullum came in after Simon Dool had done, in hindsight, after hearing your comments, like a really strident and angry description of exactly why Martin Guptill was out under the laws of the game. And Brendan McCullum came in and said, well, if commentary doesn't work out for you, there's always match refereeing. Which I wondered if maybe that was a subtle hint that he knows which way Sky TV's selectors are looking. You know, after all, we know McCullum has snaked his way into the captaincy once before. Could he be about to snake his way into Simon Dool's premier slot on the commentary team? Well, I mean, I've been, I've been really enjoying his commentary as well, actually. I think, um, particularly, you mentioned Mark Nicholas before. Particularly those two in, together. I find Mark Nicholas with these very eloquent, poetic descriptions of, of, of a game he very clearly loves a lot. Mm. Um, but then McCullum with this insight into having insight into this, the kind of cricket that's being played now, having basically, you know, been at the forefront of sort of developing it and um, sort of this kind of total cricket. Um, really interesting interplay between between those two. And uh, yeah, I'm finding McCullum really helpful. Mm. I, I think, I think for, he offers very great insight from a captain's perspective about field changes. And it was really interesting to see him ahead of the game today talk about how um, the Black Caps had been really conservative and that they need to be a little bit more aggressive if they want to go deep in this tournament. And Do you been, mean with sort of the bat generally and run rates? With their or? selections he was talking about. Um, he, he's keen to see one of the um, all-rounders replaced um, and believes that you need to get that type of contribution that they're relying on two people for from one. And we kind of saw that today with... A really important innings from Colin de Grandholm. He he sort of came in at this moment where the run rate was growing and extending itself away from us, and he also bowled incredibly well. Mm. I I would argue though that it was actually a really important innings from Jimmy Neesham as well. He only came away with something like twenty six runs, but he was part of a fifty partnership when there had just been three wickets in very very quick succession. I mean, that sort of steadying went a long, long way towards allowing de Gronholm to then play a bit more aggressively, I think. You're not wrong. Hmm. But it's, it's Jimmy Neesham can't bowl. And He's not that bad. They did, why, didn't, why didn't he get a single over today, you know? I think they're worried about the way he can um, be tapped. Uh, so it's an interesting problem. Mm. Mm. Oh, well, I, I mean, at the same time, though, I would argue that he's in the top six batsmen in the squad right now. I mean, maybe you'd put Nichols in there. Nichols is definitely a better maybe, batsman. Maybe, but I'm not even that sure. I think uh, I think Nisham offers something a bit different to the rest of the batting lineup, uh, apart from de Grandhomme, in that he offers some sort of middle to late overs power hitting, which Nichols I don't really see being able to do. I think the selection dilemma for me at the moment is um, Munro. I, I just mm. he has done sort of the bare minimum to keep his spot there. Well, he had a really good first game, and you know, under no pressure, chasing a really low total. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't know basically exactly what he adds up the order at the moment. He, 
We had uh, Mitchell McLennigan uh, in a couple of weeks ago telling us off uh, for running down Munro. They're quite good friends. I, but I do understand his point. I don't see us winning the World Cup unless Munro gets 50 off 30 or something like that. Um, and who else is going to do that? Uh, he actually looked quite good today. I, I tweeted that maybe he should think about playing test cricket as well. There were beautiful uh, drives through the covers, and then he got out. Oh, he's he's definitely thought it. I, I remember as, uh, back in the day I was working at Radio Sport, and I interviewed him after he had scored a first-class century off about... 20 balls or whatever it was you know it just absolutely plundered it uh and I asked him you know do you do you want to play test cricket and he said absolutely because I think if you're a professional cricketer in New Zealand you you just you want to play all three formats you don't want to pigeon your hole yourself uh, but he's I think un- really unlikely to ever get a look in from the selectors simply because of even though his first class average is phenomenally high uh, he has sort of pigeonholed himself as a limited overs player and someone who is in for a good time, not a long time. Oh, yeah, my tweet was a joke. Interesting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I took Interesting. It very seriously. I think his he has. I think he's played one test match, and it was um, the forty five all out in South Africa. That oh, the, sort of the beginning of the rebirth. Yeah. Of New oh, yeah. So we're almost halfway. Oh, no, we are just past halfway through the tournament. How are you two coping sort of mentally, physically with um, the fact that this is showing very long games in the middle of the night? <laughs> um, well, I don't think I am physically capable of falling asleep anymore unless it's to the sound of cricket playing mm. through my headphones as I lie in bed in the dark. Mm. <laughs> um, that's going to have some severe long-term consequences oh, yeah, for you. I, I mean, you're going to find yourself like watching Caribbean Premier League, yep. Bangladesh Premier yep. League. Pakistan T10 leagues, yep. anything, yep. just yep. any just, fix. Those, those fake tournaments that they do in Gulf states, which are entirely set up for match fixes, you'll still be watching them. Got it. Yeah. Actually, there's a Canadian Premier League coming up as well. So depending on the, the time of day, that could be a goer. Yeah. You'll be able to sleep all day. Yeah, because could sleep 24 hours a day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, obviously it's it's tricky. Um, but sort of picking and choosing the games that you really want to invest some significant time in has, has been key. Because I watched the whole India-Pakistan game, which although wasn't a great game of cricket, was a beautiful piece of humanity, really. it was. Mm. Um, I, I love that. Uh, match up at the World Cup and I just keep seeing people being better cricket fans than me that guy who arrived on a horse <laughs> is um, has a piece of my heart forever now but I then spent Monday at work without a minute's sleep which was quite weird and I'm going to have to do that again today and I've never watched cricket in such um, sort of arduous conditions I'm having to uh, urinate into my kitchen sink because I don't want to risk waking up my wife because the bathroom is right next to our bedroom and you know she's already frustrated by my approach to um, this tournament and it's putting a lot of stress on me but I'm just loving it. I just it's another month. There's another month what for I, to go. What I resent is this week um, there were people complaining about this tournament and you've just got to be patient. It's not the tournament's fault it's rained a bit. We've got some good games out of it and we got a beautiful one today and there's more to come so 
keep weeing in the sink, stick with it, and uh, I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Do you, do you have a garden at your house? It's, it's quite good it's for very, the garden. It's too. very cold at the moment. It's I'm not, not going, that I'm cold. not going outside. It's not pissing in the sink cold. I've run the tap while I do it. Um, coming up, the West Indies. So Mark Thoughts? Craig is going to join us on uh, Sunday morning. He made his debut on Tour to the Caribbean, and we're going to talk to him about the culture of cricket in, uh, in those beautiful island nations. Mm. What's, uh, if, you, if you've got a game that you're looking forward to, it doesn't have to be a New Zealand one, but which, which one are you targeting as one to stay up overnight for? I mean, basically all the next New Zealand ones. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're are all, all going to be good. Um, I mean, I'm just this Indian team is just a joy to watch at the mm. moment, um, mm. and so I mean their their games are just fantastic mm. as well. Um, uh, I think for me, the Indi- Indian India is the are the favourites in this tournament. I think um, England are really powerful. Yeah. Um, but I just feel there's a it maybe hasn't been tested in this World Cup. But I just feel there's a brittleness to the English batting lineup that I don't sense from India. They just seem so they've got their plan and they 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 know how to get yeah. it done. England, I think, have a you can see you can see a collapse coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, they scored three hundred and ninety something against Afghanistan uh, a couple of days ago, but. I mean, does that count at this stage? Afghanistan poor, poor have been Afghanistan. Uh, it's all they've been falling so... apart around them. Politics now as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's been really sad to see. Uh, next, next time. I mean, yeah. that probably is the biggest disappointment of this World Cup for me. That mm. Afghanistan haven't given as good an account of themselves as I think is that they're capable yeah, of. I, I don't think anyone would have expected them to make the semis or anything like that. But would have maybe expected them to just be a bit more competitive as it were and yeah. it just hasn't happened no um finally i'd like to do a very special shout out to uh amy mercer one of our listeners she won the white ferns prize pack and wrote in to tell us how um important cricket and coffee is to her at the moment with her four week old baby angus who is keeping her up all night i uh, got a email very early in the morning from her today so glad to know she was watching I would just like to warn Amy that she may be condemning Angus to a life of cricket tragedy before he knows anything else Um, my sort of journey was born on my dad's knee during the 1988 Pakistan tour of New Zealand where he's like look Simon that's you and Chatfield and I replied to my dad where's me and Chatfield and when I told you in Chatfield this story <laughs> at the Wellington Airport where he was waiting to pick someone up in his cab, he didn't find it very funny. What? Yeah, it was disappointing. That's, that's hilarious. I agree. Ah, oh, Ewan. Ewan's oh. a pro. He, you know, he doesn't like to be approached by strange strangers. Yeah, fair enough. In the airport. Yeah. Well, I'd just like to thank you so much, James Borrowdale, for coming and giving us your insights. It was fantastic to have you on. Oh, thanks so much for having me. And I'd also like to thank Coffee Supreme so much. Uh, You know, this morning was a difficult one to get through, but 
and and did you know as well you can get coffee supreme delivered to your house that's what i do and that's how i'm getting through these early games uh and finally thank you as well to mark kelleher who helped us out with a bit of production today uh that is all of the offspin for another episode we're going to be back sunday morning with mark craig after the west indies game uh and i'm really looking forward to it for one love the west indies like share and subscribe Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.